Attention. This is a special bulletin. Civil defense authorities have declared a state of emergency for all London areas within three miles of the River Thames. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. Hello and welcome to episode number 206 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle and this is the second episode of June 2017 and our Daikaiju discussion for 1961's Gorgo. Now this past weekend, when we recorded, Portland was experiencing some record highs with over 100 degrees Fahrenheit temperatures. So this episode is bound to be pretty much just the discussion. But I will cover the catastrophic events afterwards because there's just so much happening and you do need to know about it, especially if these things are happening in your area. Even though I'm flying solo right now, I will have a little help for the discussion from two co-hosts. But as always, we do play a little bit of music here on the Kaiju Cast. And speaking of, hope you enjoyed that last episode. I really did have a blast putting it together. Now, because we're doing Gorgo, which is not from Japan, let's actually not even go down the Ifukube Road right now. I think what I'd like to do is play something that you may not have ever heard. Let's start things off with Sadao Beku's Matango score. This is the Matango Woman.
And for those keeping track, we started things off with The Matango Woman by Sadao Beku. And that, of course, is from Matango, better known here in America as Attack of the Mushroom People. And then we played Popcorn Crabula by Man or Astro Man. And if some of that sounded familiar, that's because audio elements from Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster crept their way into that song. Uh, I absolutely love Man or Astro Man, and that is a great tune that we haven't played in a really long time. And then we followed things up with something I found on YouTube, which is called A Tribute to Gorgo. And I really have no information more than that. I think it's part of the actual score or it's a recreation of the score. The same YouTube channel has several tribute music video things. So uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll link to it in the show notes if you really want to deep dive that. Uh, but because we played something from Gorgo, that once again class brings us to our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular movie from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. As I said before, and I'm, I'm sure I'll say again, we are at the very end of our original Daikaiju discussion list. Actually, we're even further past the original end because... Uh, this is one of the additions that I didn't include originally, that people are like, why don't you put Gorgo on the list? So that's what we're doing tonight. We are talking about Gorgo. Gorgo was released in 1961. Now, I'm going to lay something out on the table here right now. I do not know very much about Gorgo. I really should. I should learn about it. I should watch that documentary that I will be talking about during the episode and sort of commit it to memory because I do enjoy Gorgo. I think it's a very fun film. But that being said, please take into consideration that what I am about to read to you came from the Internet Movie Database, which at one point, I think I considered it to be the pinnacle of movie information. And then they crowdsourced their details. And man, I don't know what I can trust on the IMDb anymore, you guys. But this is what I will tell you. It was directed by Eugene Lurie. And uh, it was written by Robert L. Richards and Daniel James. Now, the release date on this is kind of funky. So check this out. According to IMDb, again, who knows? This says that the movie first came out in January, January 10th, 1961, in Japan. That's the first release. Then March 29th was the USA. And according to this internet movie database, the UK didn't get it until October 27th of 1961. I would like to know what is going on with that. Where is my Gorgo expert? Ah, crap. That's right. I'm supposed to be the Gorgo expert here, but I'm not. And uh, before I really get down this insane path of talking to myself, because there's nobody in here right now, let's actually listen to the trailer. And when we come back from that, I'll have some bodies in the room with me. picture of our time has ever unleashed sharp spectacle of such scope and realism as up from the depths of prehistoric mystery rages Virgo. The headlines of the world plays the fabulous story of this monster from another age, catapulted from some vast sub-ocean cavern by unprecedented volcanic action. And the headlines scream the story of the reckless skin divers who captured the monster and put it on exhibition. Stop! Come on! Drop the net! What do you think you're doing? Take it easy. I can't go and go back to see where he belongs. Why? Maybe to save your silly skins for you. Hurry, hurry, hurry to see Gorgo. But the headlines do not record the story of a little boy who had a curious sympathy and understanding for the fantastic creature. What strange secret does he know that scientists only suspect? You're trying to say there may be a fully grown one of these things around somewhere? How big would a full grown one be? An approximate guess. The infant? The adult. That'll make it nearly 200 feet tall. Wreaking terrible vengeance against the civilization that has captured its offspring. Powering over the cities of the world as millions flee its awesome terror. can stop it, defying the force of the army, the might of the Navy. Ready to open fire, sir. 
Wild one. Even the fury of the Jets. In a crashing crescendo of sights never before beheld by human eyes and adventures never before experienced by any man or woman. We just finished watching Gorgo, 1961's British kaiju film. Uh, I'm sitting here with Clancy Peterson. Hello, everybody. And Tiger Yount has come back. Salutations. Welcome back, man. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the film. I think this is a really interesting one for the podcast because, A, like several other, but not, you know, many others, this is not a kaiju film from Japan. This is a British film installment uh and as far as i know it's their only giant monster movie unless you count something like at the earth's core has anybody seen at the earth's core <laughs> like, I, I don't think so yeah it's a british movie that's got um peter cushing and he plays sort of like a bumbling professor and he drills into the center of the earth with this sort of i think he's an american like bravado dude uh while they're down there at the earth's core they meet a uh, like Morlock species of people and other human like people. <laughs> Carolyn Monroe's in it, and there are giant monsters, men in suits. Yeah, I think you have me at Carolyn Monroe. I have to <laughs> check that one out now. It's an interesting one. It's like I think it's I think it's from the sixties, you know. But anyway, aside from that one, this is the only one I know that has like a full blown man in suit giant monster attack, like a Godzilla movie. Clancy, have you seen Gorgo before? Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen this about one and a half times. Um, I kind of think I might have seen it may maybe in bits and pieces on television as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but I had not seen it in full sitting down watching it until this Blu-ray release. Right, um, right, yeah. I mean, before today. But it's one that I experienced, you know, later in life. Yeah, I definitely did not see this a lot uh, when I was younger. Now, Tiger, we had seen this one before. This is true. You showed me this movie about, I want to, I would say around five years ago, four years ago. And, uh, you reminded me earlier that we had actually watched this Blu-ray release, which is the one that came out, I, I think probably right around then, because it must have been right after I got it. And there's a documentary on it. And I was really excited to watch the documentary. And then, um, yeah, there's a guy in the documentary. If you get this Blu-ray release, there's a dude in the documentary who talks a little trash about the Godzilla movies. It was a little upsetting. I was yep. triggered. <laughs> I was triggered. <laughs> but uh, it, it's aside from that, it's actually a really great doc. And the DVD, or the Blu-ray release, has so many awesome features. It's got the trailers. It's got galleries of toys and posters. It's like uh, it actually feels like a fan release, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I feel like this one had a lot of care taken into it like it, it was an interesting idea because gorgo seems kind of like a not very well-known kaiju movie but they put like this dvd release has like it's meant to look like the format of like the original poster and stuff there's a lot of work put into it there's yeah. documentaries and even at the end of credits of the movie they add in a separate credit screen of like donations from like different people in order to like kind of help this project so there's a lot of care taken into it yeah it's definitely yeah you can feel the love for sure so uh let's talk a little bit about the movie itself uh you know clancy what were your first impressions after watching it here tonight uh i definitely think it benefits from finally getting to see it on a bigger screen mm -hmm. I, I just have a you know i still have a big tv but here at the headquarters it's a you know close to a movie theater size screen um so it was awesome to just get to see a giant monster movie on a giant screen um i think this is a solid really good monster film mm -hmm. um i mean i have to step back as a huge fan of godzilla films because i think those are a lot better than this um but but no it's it's an entertaining film um i think it works at the length that it's at mm -hmm. just a nice short um hour and 20 minute monster movie uh, moves along at a decent pace and, um, and even like the destruction scenes in the buildings. I mean, it's high quality stuff for, uh, you know, films that tend to sometimes just have, uh, 
shortcuts taken and all that. Just sure. Yeah. And, and for a one-time shot, yeah. you know, absolutely. I totally agree. I actually, I think that the, uh, the effects work in this movie is actually really good, especially the miniature work, especially the suit work. Um, I was watching something, uh, the, the documentary, actually, that's what I was watching. And they mentioned that they built the suit so that instead of using wires, like the Toho monsters do for, you know, to move the tail or what have you, I guess that would be pretty much the only thing to move in Gorgo. Uh, they had the tail, legs, arms, and head all on like hydraulics inside the suit. Sounds kind of dangerous, actually, <laughs> but I mean, they're not any more dangerous than having rockets fired at you in, yeah. uh, in Tokyo. But the whole aspect of it does, it's almost like they said, we're going to take this Japanese phenomenon. And I do want to talk about the influence of that in a little bit, too. But we're going to take this Japanese phenomenon and we're going to improve it. And I don't know if they necessarily made improvements on it, but I think they sort of like did it their own way. So, Tiger, what about you, man? How are uh, your first impressions of Gorgo? This must be your second viewing. This is my second viewing of Gorgo. And I don't I have a weird feeling about it because I feel like the first act and even a little bit of the second act has a lot of similarities to something like King Kong. For sure. So... Yeah. King, so I did some research. King Kong came out in 1933. This movie came out in 1961. And so King Kong's budget was around $675,000. And Gorgo's was around six hundred and fifty, I think. But with Gorgo's, an interesting idea because you have a bunch of stock footage in Gorgo. You have people... They, they use stock footage multiple times and they reuse shots multiple times. And so the stock footage... I think the one I paid attention most to was during the actual, was during the third act when they had the invasion, when they, when London was getting attacked and they showed like tanks rolling up a street and going around a corner. Like they showed like a row of it at least three times. Now it probably wasn't stock footage. They probably actually filmed that. But overall, I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> but, but you wouldn't liken it to a kaiju film. No, I, I wouldn't. I feel like you think it's more in line with King Kong or it, it, an American style monster movie. Yeah. It's more in line for King Kong where they want to, f- kind of focus on a character element but they don't really do it it's also got that whole like we're gonna exploit this thing mm-hmm. like king kong they even so say like a... eighth wonder of the world in the movie yeah. <laughs> so it's got kind of it's sort of it hark i totally agree it harkens back to those as opposed to like the japanese kind of thing i like gorgo a lot actually gorgo has its flaws but i think it like its flaws are fun and they don't detract from the film too much. And it's it totally stands on its own. It's not like, I don't ever watch this movie and go, ooh, yeah, they're just ripping off Godzilla at that, you know. Even though it's very clear they're doing the giant monster and a man in a suit thing. Now, let's actually talk a little bit about Influence. This is a film from 1961. And so if you're thinking about the popularity of monster movies at the time, think of the re-release of King Kong which happened in, I think it was 1953, so 20 years after the original came out. It was re-released to theaters, was a huge, huge hit. That was followed up by The Beast of 20,000 Fathoms, which was Ray Harryhausen's uh, sort of like proto-Godzilla story, followed by 1954's Godzilla. And the same year, 54, uh, we had Them, the Ant movie. Mm -hmm. So now let's think of them and Godzilla as two different points. And we're going to draw some sort of like lines going from those points. We're going to be parallel for a little while, but then they're going to go off in different directions, I'm sure. So like the monster movie phenom, I truly believe that Godzilla was a response to the American monster movie, you know, the atomic age monster movie kind of thing. And then as they started doing their own thing, people kept looking to Japan to reinvigorate certain aspects of their own filmmaking. And so Gorgo, which came out six years, six years, maybe seven years after the original Godzilla. Some people say that that was influenced by Japan. And then that was directly like them just saying, we're going to make our own kaiju film. I think I agree that it is much more like they said, we're going to make a Atomic Age monster movie, but we like the kaiju element from Japan. So let's just take that and work it into our standard, like American style fare. And then that's what Gorgo becomes. Influence wise, though, you only really have Godzilla, Godzilla raids again, Varan. I mean, maybe if you want to even include the Mysterians, something like, you know, that. And then 
that's it for kaiju films, I think, right? Up until 1961. There's really just a few. Because I don't even think that Mothra had come out yet by no, the time Gorgo so. is out. I mean, not for, and definitely not for the audience that probably would have been seeing this. Yeah. Because I do, this is like an American British production combined, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's uh, one of those things I seem to remember there was like, it was a big wheelum dealum kind of thing from Hollywood and England, but I'm not, I don't remember the whole details. I was telling Clancy this earlier, that documentary is almost like the perfect kaiju cast commentary wrapped up into just a, you know, something that you can watch independently. It's really well done and it tells so much about the production of that film. So again, listeners, you should totally check it out. But yeah, I mean, the influence, I think it's great that the influence is felt, but it's like they're not trying to do an exact ripoff of a kaiju film. And then following this, you can look at 1967's Gappa, which is almost entirely a ripoff of Gorgo. So it's like this crazy like chain of ripoffs. I don't know. It's interesting to me. I love it. Well, let's go ahead and talk about what we didn't care for in the film. That's actually an interesting one for me because I'm going to have to think of like what I would change rather than what I didn't like. Cause I do pretty much like all of Gorgo. So uh, what didn't we like about the film? Clancy. Um, I think my biggest problem with the film are the things that kind of keep it to me from being um, like a classic monster film where you look at a film like the Godzilla series mm-hmm. and it's gone on and it's continued. And the same thing with like a King Kong character. While there hasn't been as many, um, films, it's a household name. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Gorgo, the creature itself. Um, you know, the mother and the child creature where it doesn't to me feel like it has a lot of, uh, personality. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that comes to, while I think the suit is a cool design, um, the actor that's moving and it, the best thing to compare it to is going to be Godzilla because it's the same style creature at least in shape and form whenever i watch the best of the godzilla films that if godzilla feels like a a moving living breathing creature um whereas this one a lot of times its mouth is just kind of bouncing open and closed and it feels more animatronic to me and again like you said it does have like mechanics that are going on in there um but that kind of pulls it away from me like where i'm going everything that i think is cool about the film is focused away from the monster. Hmm. So like when you're talking about those destruction theme scenes, I thought those were incredible where it was coming through and it's kind of, it always just baffles me, which you mentioned about the documentary where someone wants to immediately say, it's just paper buildings, cardboard boxes getting trashed by monsters. This was another film where perfect example, these detailed, awesome models being, you know, wrecked. Um, but then again, there's Gorgo coming through. And to me, it just, he never feels, or she, um, never feels like a real monster to me, uh, if that makes sense. Um, well, I would definitely agree with you on the, like, let's just say the personality coming through. Yeah. Like, let's say if you're comparing Gorgo to the closest Godzilla movie, which is going to be 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla. Or you could say... Varan, I guess, because that's 58, 57, 58, something like that. Um, and I totally forgot about you, Rodan. I forgot to mention you <laughs> earlier on in the episode. But, uh, you know, it, actually, those those monsters, Godzilla, Angulus, Rodan, Varan, those are literally, I think, the giant monsters, unless I'm forgetting another one, that came out before Gorgo. And, like, I would say none of them really had that sort of, like, personality that we get until we get into the 60s movies well and i'm not saying i'm not saying that when i say compare i'm kind of going future and sure yeah past. yeah um i'm not saying that it wasn't doing something that should you, you know what i'm saying like yeah that. yeah and i i'm but i also i totally agree with you because that the thing is gorgo almost looks like a robot yeah in a sense like maybe all of those hydraulics while they thought this is a good idea. It's like killing the uh, acting ability of whoever is inside the suit. Yeah. Tiger, did you dislike anything in Gorgo specifically? I feel like my, one of the bigger problems of the movie is actually the characters. They're okay. just not like, I know 
there's the diver situation in the very beginning, but there's like no real tension because these, and that's kind of the problem with most, I guess this, I shouldn't really bring this up because it is a common, um, tread within monster movies. It's just that there's the, they want to focus it more on the monster itself rather than characters. Mm -hmm. But this movie in particular just don't really have any memorable characters. We have, um, Captain, other Captain, archaeologist, <laughs> child, um, military officer number one, reporter, cameoed by special guest, um, a guy named <laughs> William Sylvester, all, which is also the captain. Um, uh, and really it just doesn't, you just don't really care if anything happens to them. And thankfully, I think the movie kind of knows this and doesn't really involve them that much. Does it try and make you care about them? Not really. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it just kind of shows the monster. But I would have appreciated the attempt if they did. But at the same time, I also kind of don't. It's a weird situation, but... Well, it's a weird, it's weird to look at it now too, because you're like, who, I'm sitting there going, who's the hero in this film? Who's the, who's the main character? Who's the protagonist that I need to root for? Is there a main character in this? (laughs) Uh, I think it was the dude, Sam, who still was a drunk and tried to let Gorgo out. (laughs) Like, I don't think, I don't really consider him to be a hero. Did they explain why he got drunk? (laughs) I think it was, uh, he was definitely having some sort of pangs of regret, you know, but that's still. It, it, yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. It's like, why? I don't know this character. Maybe the little kid Sean. The little kid Sean. Well, he's I, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a cynic. I, I mean, know. actually, in the trailer, I think they said, it's the story of a young boy who yada, yada, yada. What are you talking about? I don't remember a kid at all. Yeah, that would have been my guess, is that it's supposed to be focused on um, the kid and his, you know, objections to them taking away this uh, monster from its home environment, which I have to say, I did rather appreciate that this film ended on a note where they let monsters live as opposed to um, killing them. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. You know, the boy was right. And they came in trashed London and they get to leave and go back to where they should never have been taken from before. And yeah. so many times they just, wipe these creatures out when it comes to like an American monster. Absolutely. Movie or yeah. Like so if you hate the ending of the 2014 legendary Godzilla movie, you know who to blame. It's Gorgo's fault. <laughs> I guess I would say that the thing that I didn't like about it is the, is the characters as well. Like you tiger. I didn't care about any of those storylines. I mean, I like a monster movie to have good characters. I was just talking about this with lady Kyle, like the, issue i have and actually brian mentioned this on facebook recently the you know the issue with these new movies being written is that the importance of character and character growth and character development within a story that also involves a giant monster is not being taken into consideration because there are so many people out there that are just like but what about the monster it's the best part of the movie you gotta focus everything on it Sure. Or just like, who cares? They're literally people who say, who cares about the human characters? I just want to see the monster. And it's like, that's a, that's a complaint that I think at one point I absolutely subscribed to early on in my fandom of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But now I completely appreciate a, you know, a compelling story. And I would like to see movies today have those. You know, I can give Gorgo a pass on the characters, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a take it, it's a British take on a sure, new genre, yeah, yeah. whatever. I don't know what the rest of the British cinema was like in 1961. I'm not uh, able to judge that unless I go and watch a bunch of movies, which I'm probably not going to have the time to do or find. Uh but for a giant monster movie, I think this it's like a great not homage, but I think it's a great look at somebody else trying to do a, a giant monster movie like a, Toho did. It's a good experiment. Yeah, yeah. Good experiment. Uh, I actually do have one final kind of complaint. I, f- I know it's 1961. It's movie 1961. I don't expect anything amazing, but some of the chroma key in this movie is pretty bad. Like, especially <laughs> like there's one shot in particular where when they are putting Gorgo into London, they show like a marching band behind like a weird red barrier that was weird i don't know what that was i'm like still trying to think about i'm like what is that thing and the other example was when they passed by a circus and they have a cardboard cutout of people in line 
they, it's actual cardboard. Like it's a painting, a drawing of. It's people. like a drawing, yeah, yeah but yeah. like it doesn't look good at all because it's way too in focus. And but I mean, it's, it only happens for like three seconds, but it just caught my eye. I'm like, what is that? Like, right on. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't I, tell you. I know. I totally noticed that. I mean, and that's one of the uh, the perils of watching these Blu-ray discs is that everything is so crisp and so clear. Now you can be like, oh, that's. That's that, people just standing there. There's a painting standing you, in front you of You can watch Invasion bags. of the Astro Monster and be like, that is not, that is a doll on a, like an elevator going down the spaceship. <laughs> that does not sound familiar to me at all. Okay, I think I that can... was definitely real people on the P1 <laughs> landing platform well, forever. The, the effects were so good. So dense. Every single frame is so many things <laughs> okay. going on. Anyway, uh, inside jokes aside, we should probably wrap this up and get to our final thoughts. Clancy, final thoughts on Gorgo. Uh, I think Gorgo succeeds at being a entertaining giant monster movie. Um, everything from, you know, the very beginning when they're in the Irish, you know, little staging village. Nara for, Island. Yeah. Yes, and, yes. you know, the tense scenes there with the, you know, the baby ver- or child version of the monster. Um, with the guy going down in his little mini sub, just very suspenseful. And then when they get into London and it's just like excellent model work, um, is my opinion. And just like some of these people, you know, running from this monster and the buildings coming down on them, it mm. felt very, that part of the film felt very real to me. Um, it felt like the people that were in, you know, most of the scenes, of course, you're going to find one guy that's running and he's smiling, um, inappropriately, <laughs> but you know, it felt, it felt scary you know it felt like they were terrified and that you know there was real danger there and i found it to be you know in another another enjoyable entry into this genre that we love so i have a lot of fun with this one um i don't think i'll ever watch it as much as i watch godzilla films sure yeah yeah Um, i can see that but i like you know i'll I'll keep taking it out every few years and enjoying it and you know i have this blu-ray as well and i can't wait probably check it out tonight watch that documentary you're talking about it's a good package. Uh, would you suggest this to a kaiju newbie? Um, this would not be the first one that I broke out and showed, you know, showed someone. But that always depends anyway. I kind of, whenever I'm talking to someone about what they're into, I kind of give them those basic questions. Like, are mm-hmm. you into movies from the 60s? Right. Because if not, I'm going to go to a 90s Gamera or Godzilla film. Totally, totally. There's no point in even starting them at that point if they're going to have an attitude about it um you know but if someone was into the older films and i had already shown them some of my favorites from the godzilla series i would have no problem putting this one on because i think it's just very accessible uh nice lean film that moves at a quick pace as i said in the beginning so yeah i think it's one that somebody could sit down and watch pretty quick nice tiger final thoughts on gorgo I think this is a decent film. I wouldn't really recommend it for... I'd recommend it if you're interested in sexy cinema. That's really the best advice I can give. Uh, or you're just curious on what other parts of the world did an attempt at a giant monster movie. Whether it's Reptilicus and, or something like that. But Yeah. Uh, Gorgo for your UK cinema. Is a is an interesting experiment, like I mentioned. It's, a, it's a kind of it is kind of like an experimental, not in like an experimental art film where like they just film a tree for ten hours, but just an experimental <laughs> movie. I would give it like a five out of ten. Uh, so I guess my final thoughts are: I do really enjoy Gorgo, and when this came out on Blu-ray, there was like not a a speck of my body that was like I don't need to pick that up. Like I. Never owned a copy of it before. I think I had only really seen it like on VHS. Maybe it rented it from like Mike's Movie Madness back in the day, but I know I didn't have a copy of it for, you know, forever. And so when it came out on Blu-ray, I purchased it. Uh, just at the time of this recording, there are lots of places to get this still for like 13, less than $15, $13.29 on Amazon with Prime. So there you go. If you don't have this, I say pick it up. I think it's a good addition to your kaiju genre collection. It will never replace the other giant monster movies. And honestly, I kind of put it right on par with a lot of the uh, 
the non-Toho kaiju films from Japan, you know, Shochiku's Extra Matter Space, uh, Nikatsu's Gappa, even the Gamera series from the 60s, I would even liken this to, you know, quality-wise, interest-wise, and entertainment value-wise. So there you go. Uh, we did get several people sending in their homework, so I'm going to tackle that solo because uh, it's super hot outside, and I'm going to let these guys go. And we're going to kick things off with Mike Keller, who has seen Gorgo many times since his first viewing of the film at the age of six. But this month, not only did Mike watch the film again, he also read the shooting script, the Monarch Books novelization, and the Charlton Comics adaptation. And I guess, Mike, you are my expert for this particular episode. Well done, sir. Mike noticed differences in all four of these works. Some were unique to a certain version alone, while others carried over to multiple versions. It would take way too much time for him to list every single one of those things, but two of the most significant would be a scene with both a killer whale and a giant octopus, and a scene where Baby Gorgo fought an elephant. The latter was obviously inspired by 20 Million Miles to Earth, and Mike thinks that Baby Gorgo must have originally been envisioned as considerably smaller because the 65-foot-tall infant that appeared in the final film would have just kicked an elephant over. Mike was surprised by the novelization. He had often heard that Gorgo, Conga, and Reptilicus were turned into sex novels by Monarch, but he found the book surprisingly well-written, adding some dimension and background to the characters we already know and introducing some new ones. There are a grand total of two sex scenes with the new character, Moria and Sam Slade, but they're actually less graphic than what appears in most mainstream fiction. John Grisham novels are more pornographic. The introduction of Moria also fixes one of the few problems with the film. Aside from the Mama Gorgo herself, the movie is a sausage fest. This would not only be rare for a film today, it was rare for films back then, including monster movies. Virtually every monster movie ever made before or since has had at least one female character. Mike thinks that if Gorgo is ever remade, the creators could do a lot worse than filming a straight adaptation of the novel. One other point Mike would like to make about these extraneous versions of the Gorgo story, he doesn't care if Steve Ditko is a comic book legend, the Charlton's Gorgo comics are crap quality. The artwork especially is surprisingly bad, with depictions of Gorgo and his mom sporting human-like hands, pencil-thin bodies, and a disordered depiction in general. Also, the Gorgo kind seemed to share the same problem that Godzilla faced, the monsters were gray in color, but all publicity seemed to think they were green. As for the movie itself, what can you say? Mike considers Gorgo one of the ten best monster movies ever made, and the Gorgo kind as one of his five favorite monsters. With a perfect design, as iconic as any kaiju that Toho put out, it's interesting to note that at the time when Godzilla topped out at 50 meters, the adult Gorgo was shown to be about 80 meters. This is evident in the scene with Big Ben, a structure with 96.3 meter height, also interesting that the film has two connections with 2001 A Space Odyssey in the form of actor William Sylvester and special effects man Tom Howard. Of course, Eugene Lurie is probably the closest thing the West had ever had to a Shiro Honda. Though Mike is glad his desire to not have any confrontations between the military and the Mama Gorgo was overruled. However, his decision to let the monsters live at the end was completely ace. Even when Mike first watched the film as a young boy, he was struck by the uniqueness of the ending. Mike has always wondered about the environment that the Gorgo kind dwell in and how many there are. If we had a mother and a son, then we obviously have a breeding population somewhere. Mike assumes that we're supposed to buy that, as the reporters state, they were freed by volcanic eruption from a subterranean cavern. What is that cavern like? It must be huge! It also must be able to facilitate some dry land in addition to water, as the Gorgos, obviously amphibious. With no natural sunlight, is it illuminated by natural phosphorescence? Perhaps they live in some Jules Verne Edgar Rice Burroughs hollow earth. These are the types of things that monster movies make Mike think about. Gorgo also solidified that Mike sometimes had a very hard time dealing with Mystery Science Theater 3000. He remembers the promo copy on the MST3K website referring to Gorgo as being made loudly and badly. Those are face-punching words in a Mike household. Mike could say a lot more about Gorgo, and maybe he will if the KaijuCast decides to rewatch it in the future, but he thinks that this review has gone on long enough and decides to end it there. Jace grew up with this movie as part of the pantheon of giant monster movies that populated his imagination with awesome scenarios that sadly were never to be. 
Godzilla versus Gorgo, Gorgo versus Gamera, that kind of thing. Rewatching this film is difficult. The pacing, the characters, the plot, the writing, it just doesn't hold up the way Honda's classics do. Jace has a similar experience with many of the Harryhausen films. Unlike the Toho films, Gorgo is definitely a case in which the monster outshines the rest of the movie. Gorgo herself is breathtaking. The effects work of her attack on London is, at least up until that point in history of the genre, the absolute best. The technical prowess of the effects vastly outmatches the uninspired film, with, incidentally, essentially zero female characters. Gorgo's design is truly iconic, combining features of Godzilla with a unique flourish and those crimson eyes. It is truly unfortunate that she has not returned for other films. The comics leave something to be desired, but it is the only place Jace can get his Gorgo fix. Gorgo belongs in more movies. She belongs in a universe with Godzilla. Come on, Legendary, get those rights and bring her on board. Gorgo was one of the first kaiju films Don saw growing up, and it's still among the top three or four efforts he's seen in the genre overall. From flawless special effects work, incredible monster action scenes, and perhaps one of the greatest costumes ever created, this one still holds up to the test of time. A quick pace certainly helps this one along, and although now it's a cliche story, it doesn't hold this back at all. A true classic of the genre, and a must-see effort. Adam says that Gorgo is probably the best-known British giant monster movie. Are there other British giant monster movies, dude? With the success of early giant monster movies in the 1950s, such as The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and Godzilla, many other companies were trying to put out giant monsters of their own. Gorgo has a lighter, more pleasing ending for the audience than most monster films. Generally, the misunderstood beast has to be killed, but not here. This was done on purpose as the director's daughter was upset by the ending of the giant behemoth. Gorgo is a pretty short movie, only running about 78 minutes long, and as a result, Gorgo is fast-paced and never has dull moments. The monster movie fans will also be pleased to see plenty of monster action in the movie, as Gorgo appears often and even within the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Speaking of Gorgo, he looks pretty good. His glowing eyes and a few other touches give away the fact that it's fake, but for the time, the suit looked great. Also great is his iconic roar. It's rather ironic that Gorgo is an obvious imitation of Toho's Godzilla, yet Toho produced a monster rather similar to Gorgo almost 15 years later. Titanosaurus starred in the last Godzilla film of the show series and has the fins on the back of the head just like Gorgo and is a general bipedal aquatic dinosaur. While Toho maybe didn't directly rip off Gorgo, it's still interesting to see the similarities from Godzilla to Gorgo to Titanosaurus sort of come full circle. Outside of the monster, the special effects were above par for the time. The acting is acceptable too. We have no outstanding performances, but no one really annoys you or does a bad job here. The plot itself works well too. It's nothing that original, but the story of a misunderstood creature on the basis of its size is effective here. The boy who is nearly enchanted by the monster and his mother is a nice touch, showing how children sometimes have a better concept of what we should be doing instead of what we adults sometimes are thinking of. Money. All in all, Gorgo is a pleasing movie to watch, and its quick pace and short time makes it a movie you can watch often if you want. Gorgo has stood the test of time, having come out about 56 years ago, and still has a pretty loyal following. He was even immortalized in his own magazines, toys, etc. Pretty impressive for a monster that starred in only one movie. Gorgo is definitely a solid movie worth seeing if you are a giant monster fan. Rewatching Gorgo, James did get a decent enjoyment out of it. It didn't thrill him like Shin Godzilla, but it didn't bore him like the 1998 Godzilla. Pros. Two monsters, adult and child, a decent storyline, and well-done visual effects. Cons. Sea smoke making it too hard to see, the volume of the film at the beginning, and the hard-to-understand dialogue. Of course, the version James has is a straight rip to DVD with no care of the product or style of kaiju. This movie felt more like the 1933 Kong with a lizard in London. A few plot holes, but in the kaiju landscape, that is okay. For a Britain-based kaiju, it's not bad. It did feel like a one-and-done movie, no future movies needed. And as for a reboot, eh, probably not. Overall, James gives us three Gorgo roars out of five. Diego says that Gorgo turned out to be an enjoyable movie that had a few imagined strikes going against it before watching it. 
Somehow, Diego never got around to seeing this as a child and had no affinity for 60s British movies, save Five Million Years to Earth. He thought it was interesting that Gorgo followed Cloverfield in the discussion list, as both movies were about a baby monster in a large metropolitan city. What wasn't interesting was his first attempt to watch Gorgo as it was on the internet via archive.org, and it was super grainy. He also notes that the first newscaster uses dialogue very similar to the United Nations reporter Eric Carter. The world is stunned with news of fantastic monsters off the coast of Ireland. Minor quibbles about the military stock footage mixing British and U.S. soldiers and jets, animated explosions, flappy mouths, etc. He also says that the miniature work within London was impressive and realistic. This is considering how much more familiar we in the States are with London than Tokyo. Speak for yourself, man. It seems like the 1960s missile technology in England was at the same level of excellence, in quotation marks, that was found at the Japanese Defense Forces. Overall, Diego is glad he's seen it. It's definitely in the upper half of the monster movies. While it may not be his first choice to show a kaiju newbie, he at least wouldn't have to make excuses for it if for some reason it was. Stephen thought he was probably too late to add his sense worth, but here he gorgos anyway. See what he did there? He did that, not me. Don't be mad at me. He says, sorry, no more puns. Anyway, Stephen has always liked this movie, even if it's not the most original. It has a certain heart that cannot be denied. He then says, well, I hope I got this in on time. If not, I guess there's always next month, right? You make Gorgo about your business. Uh, and finally, after watching Gorgo for the second time, Michael began to appreciate this film even more. Sure, this movie is far from flawless, but it didn't deserve the MST3K treatment that it received. The miniature effects were on par with what Tsuburaya was doing at Toho at the time, and the monster itself was pretty well designed as well. The only thing he didn't like about the Gorgo suit was the hands, which were so out of proportion that they looked like clawed Hulk hands. Out of all the characters, Michael thinks that Sean was the best child actor ever seen in a classic giant monster movie. If only the kids in the Gamera films were this good. He comes off to warn Joe and Sam about the dangers of the creature, much like Akira warned the Science Patrol of Hydra in the Ultraman episode Terror on Route 87 and the mysterious boy in the Ultra 7 episode Ambassador of the Nomalts. The usage of fog in the earlier part of the movie in the village was nicely done and set the mood perfectly. However, in the beginning, Michael was pretty sure that undersea volcanoes erupt before they surface. All in all, Gorgo also stitches together some of the best elements of previous giant monster movies, such as the monster-used-as-sideshow-attraction element seen in King Kong, and the destruction and carnage of the original Godzilla. It also seems to have the anti-greed and exploitation message as seen in Mothra. It's also interesting that Gorgo was produced by the King Brothers, who distributed Rodan in the U.S., and that it was directed by Eugene Lurie, who directed The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Michael was also a bit shocked to hear that he did not like Godzilla and he thought that the original suit was clumsy. However, Michael notes that Gorgo did not have the same aftermath and radiation theme, which made Godzilla the superior film. Also, the blue screen effects aren't the best in this movie. Overall, he would give Gorgo 3.5 out of 5 stars, and it is an underrated classic in the genre. It shows that a mother's love is stronger than any man-made weapon. He kind of wishes that this was last month's assignment, as it would have been perfect for Mother's Day. Huh, good point, man. Also, Michael would like to dedicate this review to his mother and his late Grandma Deke, who passed away last summer. She was cantankerous at times, but she had a heart of gold when it came to her children and her grandchildren, just like Mama Gorgo. And there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion for Gorgo. I thought that was a lot of fun. Like I said many, many times, I totally recommend watching that documentary that's on the Blu-ray if you have it. Now, you're probably wondering what our movie's going to be for next month. And boy, oh boy, are we continuing the treats for you listeners. Next month's movie is going to be Daigoro versus Goliath or Goliath. I don't know how to say that yet. I'm going to have to find out. I have only watched this movie once. It's not commercially available, so I don't expect a ton of homework, but I do expect you hardcore fans who have been out there for a long time and who have seen this movie to actually chime in. And I will also say there's a reason this is not very popular. I will also say if you really want to participate, I think you can watch the movie on YouTube and I think it's subtitled. So I guess I'll include a link in the show notes to that one. See, this is another one I wasn't going to include in the original list because it's not commercially available in the U.S., 
That was a big part of it, even though we strayed off the rails from that pretty early on in the discussion format. So anyway, there you go. That's uh, our next month. And if you want to get your homework turned in, please do so before Thursday, July 27th, to be included in the Daikaiju Discussion episode. Uh, Now, we are going to move along. We don't have any news to cover, but we are going to cover some catastrophic events. Yeah, and I don't have a sounder for that, so I think what we're going to do is play a song. This is Gorgo from the original Gorgo soundtrack by Angelo Francesco Lavagnino.
right, starting things off for the catastrophic events actually this weekend. If you hear this episode and you are in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, don't forget to go to Days of the Dead, uh, which is the 30th through July 2nd. Haruo Nakajima and Sutomo Kitagawa are going to be there. Definitely go check that out. If you have not met Nakajima in person, now is the time. Just saying. And if that wasn't enough, we have, of course, G-Fest happening from the 14th through the 16th of July in Chicago, Illinois, technically Rosemont, Illinois. It's right next to O'Hare Airport, pretty much. Uh, There are a ton of guests coming to this, and we are going to do an episode. Uh, Clancy, who's going to be at G-Fest, is going to come over, and we're going to basically have ourselves a little pre-G-Fest episode that will go live uh, towards the very beginning of the month. But like I said, that is from the 14th through the 16th in Chicago, Illinois. Lots and lots of cool stuff happening in addition to the festival itself with its numerous guests from Japan. Uh, The Kaiju Cast is having a listener party Saturday night. So what we're going to do instead of meeting during the costume contest, we're going to actually go to the costume contest and we're going to watch the costume contest. And after the costume contest, we'll mosey our way out to the uh, patio and that's when we'll have our listener party. It should be a ton of fun. I will be posting a Facebook event for that if you want to keep track of it. And of course, I don't need to expand too much on that right now. So we're going to go ahead and move along. And a new convention for us to talk about this year, Fandom Fest, is happening in Louisville, Kentucky from July 28th through the 30th. They have announced many guests, but tokusatsu-related guests would be Sonny Chiba, who you may know from Street Fighter, who you may know from Terror Beneath the Sea, who you may know from Kill Bill, you know, Hattori Hanzo. He's going to be at Fandom Fest Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Also, they're bringing in Kenji Oba, who played Space Sheriff Gavon, and he was also in Kill Bill. August 26th through the 27th, Japan World Heroes is happening in Pasadena, California. Now, the last time I talked about this, they had announced Ben Furuya, Noboru Kaneko, Matt Frank, Peach Momoko, and Sunny Seki. But they've added some new guests, including TJ Storm, who is a, uh, amongst other things, He is a motion capture artist who apparently worked on Godzilla 2014. More to come on that, of course. They are also flying Jeff Zorno out to the show, which is incredible. I think this is going to be his very first West Coast appearance, at least at a convention. And of course, as always, Zorno must be destroyed! Love you, man. There's going to be some other names here that I'm not used to, so please bear with me, and I apologize in advance if I mess them up. Michi Yamato and Fujiyama Ichiban were recently announced, and suit actor Hirofumi Fukuzawa. Fukuzawa will be of note to kaiju fans because he actually played Gamera in the 1999 Gamera 3. They're also bringing Ren Kiriyama and a bizarre manga artist Shintaro Kago. And that's in addition to all the other people that I already talked about. So, One more point of note to that. I think I am actually going to be going down to that show. I'm not exactly positive how I'm going to swing it, but I might actually be getting an artist's alley table to promote the Kaiju cast. Hopefully I will see you at Japan World Heroes. And I think we're going to be doing a special episode with uh, Scott Zillner. So you can hear a lot more about that directly from the guy who's running that show, Japan World Heroes. And oh my gosh, if we're talking about things that are happening in August, that means we got to talk about things that are happening at the beginning of September, like Rose City Comic Con. Unfortunately, there won't be any tokusatsu guests that I know of yet. Come on, guys. I'm dying out here in Portland. Just kidding. I'm not dying. I'm enjoying my time as a kaiju fan, infecting other people. However, that's beside the point. Rose City Comic Con happens every year here in Portland, and I'm going to be there along with Keith Foster of Kadoja, and we are going to be doing some cool stuff, tabling together. But I did send off a panel, and I think it's going to be a cool idea for a live podcast. So hopefully I will know more about that in the future. But Rose City Comic Con is taking place September 8th through the 10th in Portland, Oregon. And of course, we will be having a listener party after that as well. Now, that takes care of our September events. What's happening in October? The 20th through the 22nd in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grand Rapids Comic Con is bringing two suit actors from the Godzilla series, Sutomo Kitagawa and the original Haruo Nakajima, to their convention. 
You can find links to all of these conventions in the show notes on the website. Check those links for more information. Now, that is going to do it for this episode. I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, please point your web browser to kaijucast.com where you can see everything that we are about. All the show notes for these episodes are up there in addition to the episodes themselves. Not to mention we have our full Daikaiju discussion schedule, which does end, I think, at the end of this year. Man, 2018 is going to be a really interesting one. Not sure how that's going to go yet. But I do have some meetings, upcoming meetings planned with the co-host. So I'm sure we'll come up with some cool, awesome stuff, regardless of how the actual timing plays out. I've said too much. In addition to finding all of that awesome stuff on KaijuCast.com, you can find links to all our social media outlets like Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, etc. Oh, and there's also links to our friends' websites like SciFiJapan.com, GFan Magazine, and more. Don't forget that if you'd like to submit your homework for Daigoro vs. Goliath, make sure to do so before July 27th, and we'll have that included in the Daikaiju discussion. And now we're really going to wrap things up with the dedication, actually. So one of our longtime listeners, Herman, uh, we haven't heard from him in a long time, and he says that he's been preoccupied with his father's dementia. Unfortunately, his father passed away at the end of May, and one of his greatest memories is when he used to let Herman stay up late, way past his bedtime, to watch Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. Herman says that his dad sat through the movie just to make him happy. And so Herman wants to hear something cheerful from this film, so we're going to play Godzilla Flies, and we're going to dedicate this to Tony Atencio, 1941 to 2017. It says, I love you, Dad. You'll be in my heart forever. And man, I got something in my eye. Jamata. Jamata.